the January 6th insurrection was fake. The narrative was fake news. It has been used to launch one of the most severe persecutions against freedom-loving Americans who are rightly concerned about election fraud, mandatory vaccination, and the imposition of communism in the USA. LifeSite News journalist Patrick Delaney has done an in-depth look into the fiasco, the players involved, those Americans still in prison today because of it, and where it is headed. Patrick is here to discuss it on this episode of The John Henry Weston Show. Stay tuned. Patrick, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, John Henry. It's an honor to be here. Let's begin, as we always do, at the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. So, January 6th is a long time ago. Uh, however, there is lots still going on about January 6th. Why are you doing a deep dive into January 6th right now? Well, John Henry, a couple of weeks ago, I guess it's about three weeks ago, uh, the Biden administration came out with a document on the national strategy for combating domestic terrorism. And uh, Tucker Carlson called it, it looked like a manual for targeting uh, Joe Biden's political opponents. And he called it a fascist document. Uh, we are seeing a imposition of uh, just the greatest challenge to our civil rights that perhaps in the history of our nation, which is going on right now. And the justification for it is this January 6th narrative of the disturbance that happened at the Capitol. And we have this uh, media narrative, which if you go to the right places, you can see it has been absolutely dismantled. Uh, and yet, of course, um, our government and our mainstream media keep the narrative going and they use it as a justification for uh, ever more intrusive infringements upon uh, civil liberties. Now, what I love with this document that you produced for LifeSite News and is available at LifeSite News, it's an in-depth analysis of the whole situation, is that people can follow along and see exactly what happened and why it happened. Because amidst our media culture, which seems completely controlled, uh, and social media as well, it's almost impossible to find what actually happened. So at LifeSite News by Patrick Delaney, you will find this step-by-step -step analysis of what happened and what it means. Um, that document that you spoke of, uh, the new document by the Biden administration targeting conservatives, what is the language in it that you've seen that you found very alarming? They ask people to keep an eye on their family and friends and report them if they are radicalizing. And I, I haven't found a real definition of that term. Uh, radicalizing to me means uh, being prone to violence, right? Uh, but I think they, they sort of keep it ambiguous. It might just mean adopting political opinions that the government doesn't like. And that's sort of implied in the document because uh, examples that they provide are uh, signs that people might be radicalizing are if they are objecting to uh, what happened with the election last year. If they uh, believe that the election is not uh, completely above board or if they are opposed to the government restrictions that have happened due to the COVID pandemic. 
And so if somebody is speaking against these things, then it seems to be implied in the document that they could be guilty of incitement, okay? And so incitement, of course, and that can get you punished. So basically, it seems to me it's designed to freeze uh, uh, freedom of speech on these topics that are so crucial to where we are politically right now in our nation and the world. Okay. Take us, if you will, uh, through what happened uh, and what you found. On January 6th, of course, we had a swelling of people, just hundreds of thousands of people that came to Washington, D.C. It was actually the third uh, Stop the Steal rally. And I, I didn't go and I, didn't, I couldn't make it to any of those rallies, but I've been to about 25 March for Life rallies. And from the coverage I've seen, it looked a lot like the same people, a lot of the same people, good uh, folks from all over the country. And um, yet there was also mixed in there in our own uh, Jim Hale covered it, of course. From the ground, we might add. Jim Hale was there. Gualberto Garcia Jones was there for LifeSite as well. Um, and Jim Hale, being our on-the-road on videographer, was able to capture a lot of exactly what was going on live. Yeah. So he produced some great videos uh, covering the, the bulk of the people who were there, the, the beautiful people of the United States, uh, multi-racial, uh, uh, predominantly Christian, uh, very happy and energetic and hopeful and prayerful. Um, and on one clip, I'm not sure if it was his clip, but the, uh, the people are all praying the Our Father at this huge rally. And so we know that they were Christians. Uh, mixed in there, according to Jim and his excellent coverage, and a personal friend of mine told me this too when he returned to Wisconsin, uh, were uh, sort of militants, guys who looked like they were there. They weren't armed with guns or anything but they were armed with perhaps shields or they had these batons and goggles and face masks and helmets. And so their demeanor was very much different from the rest of the people. Um, Jim also caught some footage of uh, later in the day, around 5, 6, or 7 p.m., uh, a group of people who were, as he described them, intoxicated, or high on marijuana, um, who were fighting the, the police and were uh, tear gassed, okay? So there was an element there that was very much a minority of the crowd. Um, and then if you look at some sources, and this is very important, I think maybe the best source I found was by uh, a guy named Michael Waller. And Michael is a senior and. I'm sorry, a senior analyst for the Center for Security and Policy, and he specializes in propaganda, um, political warfare, psychological warfare, and subversion. And so he's an expert, and he said that he went to uh, see what was going on at the Trump rally, and he was late, he was with a friend, and the people are already starting to process up Constitution Avenue, and he just kind of fell in. And he explained these militants as well. And he said, we're going along, and there were uh, metropolitan police from the District of Columbia along on the curbs exchanging uh, kind greetings with the marchers and so forth. He said, when we got to First Avenue, when it becomes the territory of the Capitol Police, 
he said there were no police. Hmm. There were no police. And for those of us who have been to the March for Life, I, I remember you couldn't get anywhere near the Capitol for those marches. And uh, so the Capitol Police, of course, are very professional at securing their building uh, with such rallies going on. And yet, for some strange reason that day, they had seemed to forgot to do it. And there is a joint session of Congress going on, a very controversial um, certification of a contested election, and hundreds of thousands of people who think the result is fraudulent in the mall, and there's no adequate uh, security for the Capitol, which is quite puzzling. And then we discover that the FBI, they actually came out and said this. They, they had a press conference, and it's linked in the story, where they say that, yeah, we had uh, weeks and weeks of foreknowledge of perhaps a planned attack, okay? And so um, you have to ask, well, why didn't they have security available? Uh, it's a fair question. And then Michael Waller says that the crowd was kind of guided into – uh, the west side of the Capitol. And, um, and with the crowd coming in behind him, pouring in, it was really difficult to leave. And he had a perception of plainclothes militants, plainclothes militants who were up in front. They, were, they looked like everybody else, but they got in a tussle with the police. And when this happened, these police in riot gear came out upon the platform where they have the inaugurations. And he says they started shooting tear gas, not at the militants, but at the people. And there was nothing could be heard of a loudspeaker trying to communicate with the people or anything like that. And it turned the mood very sour among the folks. And we have a video in there uh, linked in the story of, of a gentleman um, capturing this. And he was with a friend, Michael Waller was, and he went to leave. And uh, as he was trying to push against the crowd to leave, there were what he called agent provocateurs. And they were standing on chairs or other elevated places, and they were telling everybody, no, go forward, forward, don't retreat. They're telling the people, don't retreat. And he said, retreat? What are you talking about, retreat? This isn't a military exercise. And he said one of the guys got in his face and looked at him and said, you get back there. Like he was trying to psych him out. And he just thought, this is the most bizarre thing. So you have these individuals uh, who are directing the crowd. And then he kind of got out um, onto the street and he saw what he called, uh, let's see, what do he call these guys? He called um, disciplined, uniformed column, uh, column of attackers. And these were the guys who were dressed in all these military clothes. He said they were separate among the crowd, but all of a sudden they were in a column and they were going through the crowd and they were telling people that they were going to take the Capitol. And he said they disappeared under the scaffolding that was set up for the inauguration. And then they went into the Capitol. Okay. And, um, and he said only afterwards did he realize that this was all orchestrated. And what's interesting about his written testimony is that uh, he wrote it 
the evening of January 6th and the morning of January 7th. And he said, this is only what I saw. I haven't included anything from other reports. Um, and so it had a great credibility. In fact, uh, Ron Johnson, Senator Ron Johnson, from uh, hailing from the great state of Wisconsin here where I am, he read this letter at a Senate uh, committee hearing on the topic. And so that was one early source of what was really happening here. And he said that these people, these agent provocateurs and these plainclothes militants and these disciplined, uniformed column of attackers, um, that they were, he said it appeared that there was a prearranged plan to storm the Capitol building and to manipulate the unsuspecting crowd as cover and as a follow-on force into the Capitol. So they were trying to push them into the Capitol. Yeah. And so that was one early source, and, and there's some others as well. Right. Now, we understand, and, and as you've reported, that there are uh, people still today in jail uh, from the Capitol uh, so-called riot or whatever, uh, or insurrection, as, as, uh, as I think the left likes to call it. Um, are those the agent provocateurs? Are those the ones who were uh, dressed in the military clothing and, and going to assault the Capitol? Are those the ones who are in jail? I understand there's about 500 people in a D.C. jail. Now, Revolver News came out with a report. They looked at the cases which were being levied against people who were being arrested. And also Julie Kelly from American Greatness. And if anybody wants to learn about these prisoners, you can uh, go search for Julie Kelly at American Greatness. She's just been following it, doing a great job. But um, there's lots of people that she reports on who are definitely part of that follow-on force, who were kind of innocent and, and uh, walked into the open doors of the building. Of course, included in the article as well are videos that have been you know, all over social media of the police, the Capitol Police. Not only did they fail to secure the building, but they let the people in. And in some cases, they waved them in, these enormous crowds on the east side of the Capitol. And I, I suspect that some of those prisoners that are in jail may be some of those um, instigators. I'm not sure, John Henry, but certainly many of them are these people who have no criminal record, who walked into the doors of the Capitol. There's one guy, he said that uh, even the complaint against him is he walked into the open doors of the Capitol and uh, there were no police or security there. And he walked around, he went into an office, he interacted with some people, he walked out again, he came back in, took some pictures and left. And because of that, he's facing seven years in prison. So all by itself, that's incredible. So you have, uh, as you said, in, in your story is linked Julie Kelly's reports, which, which have multiple cases of all sorts of individuals who really did absolutely nothing wrong per se. They followed a crowd, were let into the Capitol building by the police, as you see in those videos, money, by, by the way, of which are hard to find nowadays on the internet because of all the censoring. But um, interestingly, they are being held accountable in this insane fashion, where, as you point out in your story, we had the whole Black Lives Matter riots burned things down, unbelievably torched businesses looted and everything else. And those people, even when they're found, 
or thought, oh, well, whatever, that's all fine and good because they're protesting something ridiculous. And not only that, what I found truly amazing was that the Capitol used to have sit-ins all the time from the left, which are just, oh, well, that's just political discourse. And yeah, of course, they've, they're, they're, they're doing sit-ins, not only in the Capitol building, but in all sorts of legislatures. You have these leftist sit-ins for the environment, for whatever, whatever. But you don't ever hear of unbelievable, they've been sitting in jail since January, um, all these months and months. No, that, that's not happening. And there's 500 individuals in that situation right now. Uh, anyway, take us from there. Where, where where do we go next? Well, just when you were talking there about the uh, sort of the leftist sit-ins at the Capitol, um, I, I live here in Madison, Wisconsin, and several years ago when the state elected Scott Walker as the governor, there was leftists came from all over and they, they just ransacked our, our state Capitol. They camped in the Capitol. They did tons of damage. Um, and it went on and on and on. And Scott Walker, who, um, as governor, I remember this press conference he had, they were outside. They sounded like, you know, an army of, you know, something from Lord of the Rings. And he was saying, they're all welcome here and they have a right to uh, voice their opinion. However, I don't think they represent the majority of Wisconsinites on this issue. And so uh, this is something, of course, these are tactics of the left that they uh, somehow get away with. And, uh, and when conservatives get lured into this situation, in fact, there was a woman, the first woman who was prosecuted, uh, walked into the Capitol and she got a plea deal for parading in the Capitol. And I forgot what other penalties she got, but, but she was one of these uh, uh, insurrectionists, you know. So we have a real double standard of justice. I mean, it, it is so obvious and so frightening, really, uh, what is happening right now in our country in that regard. And these poor people who are in jail, they are in solitary confinement. They've got one hour off a day where they can leave their cell. There's no religious services. There's hardly any access to hygiene. And most of them, I don't know, I can't say most of them for sure because I don't know that, but many of them have no criminal record. It is really, um, it is really torture, actually. They are being tortured um, for their political beliefs. I mean, that's what the evidence shows. One of the narratives that, that fed into the whole insurrectionist kind of uh, story or, or fabrication was all of the deaths that occurred. People were killed. People were killed. And uh, what have you found about that? Oh, that's a great question. There were initially, they were saying five deaths. Five deaths occurred due to this, due to these Trump supporters. It was implied. And then as the story unfolded, they said, oh, there's this uh, officer, Capitol Police officer, Brian Sicknick. Uh, God rest his soul. He, he did die. Uh, but the story was he was beat to death with a fire extinguisher by Trump supporters or something. And this was repeated over and over and over and over in the media until it becomes true. And then it makes its way into the impeachment articles for President Trump that, you know, an officer was killed and all this business. And then um, there was an investigation into it and they find that um, they, they can't go any further because there's no evidence for it. And they have all the surveillance video in the Capitol, which is another story. They won't release it. But uh, there is no evidence that this happened to this, to this uh, young officer. 
And then a coroner report comes out and says he died of natural causes of a stroke. And which is kind of funny. He's a, he's a young man. Um, he was in his 40s, I believe. But uh, God rest his soul, Brian Sicknick. Uh, there were three other uh, people who died, one to, to a heart attack, another to a stroke, and a young woman died from a drug overdose. And then we have the fifth person, and that is Ashley Babbitt. Ashley Babbitt was a 14-year uh, Air Force veteran, and she might have got caught up into this whole QAnon business, and she felt like she really uh, needed to be there to protect the country, and she was shot by um, an unnamed officer. And President Trump just talked about this in his press conference last week. And he said that if it was reversed, that officer would be all over the front page, pages of the newspapers. Everyone would know his name um, if it was actually, you know, somebody on the right who shot somebody on the left. This case went forward and uh, they they closed the case and said it was self-defense. The video of the killing shows she was unarmed and uh, that that violence certainly was not necessary to protect anybody. No, the, the video, which is linked in, in your story is, is in, in viewable in your story is just fascinating because it actually demonstrates that what it is, is very clearly. I mean, it, it looks very much like there's a guy in a suit. I don't know how many uh, officers are wearing suits, but nonetheless, it uh, looks like he's wearing a suit. And then you can see she's, she's climbing through that window there. And then he shoots her. It's unbelievable. And it's obviously a deadly shot. Really very puzzling. And you're right. Imagine had it been. Imagine it was uh, in, during that, uh, the raid of the Wisconsin legislature when, when they elected the conservative. That uh, one of the uh, security defending the place had shot one of the left-wing protesters doing God knows what. Who cares? Um that security guard would be all over the news. <laughs> it would be everywhere. And yet here, there's complete even anonymity. It's amazing. It's amazing, the double standard. Well, from there, there are movements that are trying to defend these people who are in jail. I was just listening to Steve Ban- Bannon's podcast, and there's a gentleman. They're actually having a rally on Tuesday, uh, the 13th, which is tomorrow. And at the jail in Washington. It's their second one. Um, uh, Julie Kelly keeps uh, writing about it. And so I think that's the biggest focus right now is those poor people who are in solitary confinement. Um, Of course, we have, uh, there's also speculation that they are holding these people to try them uh, until next year. I mean, they're going to keep these people in solitary confinement without bail. You know, we have to remember they're not convicted of anything. They haven't had a minute of trial and they want to use it for propaganda as we go into the election year in 2022. That that's the speculation that's going on. It is an 
unbelievable story of just media fabrication and nonsense to make political points with innocent people. It is a, a, a narrative that's it's constructed by these uh, agents provocateurs or whatever you want to call them. It was a strategy designed to malign the right and used almost to perfection. It's like it was uh, planned for a long time and including its uh, end strategy. Um, so this has just been an absolutely unbelievable thing. I want to thank you for uh, your report, your comprehensive report at LifeSite News and encourage people to take a look at it so you can see point by point and play by play uh, what's really happened. Any final thoughts for us before we end off? Well, I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about uh, the Revolver News report a little more. And they looked at the cases and alongside the people who are indicted, the leaders of uh, the so-called breach of the Capitol were classified as unindicted co-conspirators. And so uh, Tucker Carlson kind of amplified this report and showed that they, um, what does that mean? It likely means that they were FBI operatives. Now, for, uh, for 20 years, it's been documented how the FBI uses entrapment uh, and often encourages sort of uh, hapless, often maybe even mentally deranged people to commit crimes. And, and then they swoop in and, and they save everybody from terrorism. And uh, there's a book called The Terror Factory that's mentioned in the, in the article. And there's also a video of just a clear evidence of the FBI fostering a terrorist attack, a real terrorist, at terrorist attack in Garland, Texas, uh, several years ago. It's a Tucker Carlson report. 2015, two Islamic extremists attacked a Muhammad cartoon contest in Garland, Texas. Fortunately, they were both killed by police before they killed anyone else. But it easily could have been a massacre, and it would have been thanks, believe it or not, to the FBI. An undercover agent egged on those attackers. He traveled with them to the attack site and then fled when the attack began. No effort was made by the FBI to stop the terrorists, and no warning was given to local police. What we may have here is, is these provocateurs that, as uh, Revolver says, uh, this incident may not have happened without them, right? So um, it's a fair question because those who led the insurrection are the unindicted co-conspirators. And so uh, uh, Darren Beatty from Revolver News says they're going to have another report coming out, maybe by the end of the month, a major report, and maybe he'll be uh, digging deeper into that. But he was on Tucker Carlson, and the last thing he said I thought was so apropos. He said, does the national security apparatus do anything but conspire against the American people? And he said that our politics are going to be nothing but performative until we can get the FBI and the national security state to heal. And uh, he says we need a church committee 2.0, and that's a reference to the 1975 Senate committee hearing that investigated abuses of various intelligence agencies in the IRS. And so uh, we have a huge task before us as Americans, and we need to pray a lot. We need to pray, and we need to work together and uh, ask the Lord's protection um, and uh, the Holy Spirit's guidance in and how to engage these 
uh, serious injustices that are happening. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've known since, um, if, if, if for no other reason, the very fact that it's now public information uh, that the FBI had the Hunter Biden laptop with all the evidence against Biden, Hunter Biden, Biden's collusion in it, all of that in there, but just let it sit and did nothing through the whole of the election, which which would have negated not only the election, and, and I love that Jack Maxey always makes this point, he defrauded, or the FBI defrauded not only just the American people, because of course the left never cares about the American people anyway, so he not only defrauded just the American people with the whole election, he defrauded all of the Democratic candidates who would have trounced Biden if any of that had been public. Yet the FBI sat on the information all through. There is real serious corruption going on. And that's why your appeal to prayer is it's, it is really the answer because these are huge, huge things that who knows how we're going to deal with them. But uh, God bless you, Patrick, for your report. And thank you for coming on the show to uh, discuss it with us. Thank you, Jen Henry. It's a pleasure. God bless all of you. We'll see you next time. Hi, this is John Henry Weston, the co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News. I'm coming to you today because we want to be sure that we're communicating clearly with you, our loyal followers. Things are really heating up, as I'm sure you can see. Christians, conservative truth-tellers are being targeted, are being banned from social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at an alarmingly fast rate. They are attempting to suppress any narrative that does not fit that of the mainstream media. We knew this day would come. We have been warning everyone who would listen and attempting to build up alternative platforms to continue to reach you. We have established ourselves on all sorts of platforms I'm going to explain in a minute, but the most important thing to do is come direct to LifeSiteNews.com because there we will always be. But we've also established ourselves on platforms like Parler and MeWe, and our videos can be found on Rumble as well. We would love to see each of you on those platforms too, as they are not censoring or suppressing the truth that we are sharing every single day. More than these alternative social media platforms, we highly encourage you to subscribe to our email newsletter. We have really built up a large list of loyal readers on our email marketing platform, and we have prepared several backup plans for, well, I want to say if, but it's really when, we are removed from our current platform as well. Additionally, I really encourage you, as I said before, to make it a regular habit to go directly to lifesitenews.com. Make it your homepage. While all of these different platforms are an excellent way to curate your news, going directly to our website means that you will never encounter any censorship or sudden loss of LifeSite News reporting. Here's the thing. We will never stop sharing the truth. We founded this organization with the mission to be the life, family, and culture source for men and women who seek to know the truth. We have established a track record of honest reports, and this will never stop, even with censorship happening around the globe. Again, I'm encouraging you to join us on Parler, MeWe, Rumble, and on our email list. You can find all the direct links in the description of this video. May God bless you and keep you, and we are so thankful that you've chosen to follow and support LifeSite News. 
I'm John Henry Weston, co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News.